Tonight, Austin Peterson, former Libertarian Party member turned Republican, joins us to discuss conservatism and libertarianism, where they're different and where they overlap. I'm Roaming Millennial, and you're watching Uncensored. Austin, thank you so much for coming on. I've been following your career for a while now, and uh, you've been pretty prominent in running for office, which I think is really, really great. Uh, just recently, you were trying to get in for Senate, and you know, you've know you identified as part of the Libertarian Party before. Now, you still call yourself a Libertarian, but you're part of the GOP, and as someone who had their Libertarian phrase, but I now identify as a small government conservative, I think, you know, when it comes to traditional conservatism versus libertarianism, and even in terms of maybe party-wise, the Libertarian Party versus the GOP, there's a lot of similarities there, but there are also some differences, and I was hoping that maybe we could talk about those today. And so for people who maybe aren't really into the nitty-gritty of what exactly libertarian is, libertarianism is just as a philosophy, how would you describe it, just, you know, really basically? Sure, and first let me say thanks so much for having me on your show today, Lauren, I'm a big fan. Um, and I would say that uh, Libertarianism is, and conservatism are distinct ideologies, although there uh, is some overlap. Mm -hmm. And while the conservative movement tends to be quite a bit larger than the libertarian movement, um, a lot of people call themselves libertarians who don't quite understand what it means. But then again, there's a lot of conservatives who call themselves conservatives who don't quite know what that means. Uh, but really what we find where conservatives and libertarians find common cause is that while we have our own distinct views on morality and ethics in society, uh, we tend to believe that government is not the best place for us to advance those ideas. Uh, you know, as a libertarian, you know, you could be uh, wildly socially liberal, right? You could even be a libertine. You could be, you know, trans, you could be gay, you know, LBG, LGBT, whatever. But you're not the type of a liberal, quote unquote. You're not a bad liberal in the sense that you don't want to use government to force people to recognize you know, your marriage or uh, or your relationships. Or, or perhaps you may engage in drug use, for example, but you don't think that it's it's for everybody else. And maybe you don't want to advocate it for, for it for others. Now, you can also be socially conservative and be a libertarian. A perfect example of that might be Ron Paul. Mm -hmm. uh, Ron Paul is someone who's very socially conservative. He, he used to make the joke that, you know, uh, you know, hemp should be legalized because it would you'd have to smoke a telephone pole size blunt of hemp <laughs> just to get anything out of it. Uh, but very socially conservative, but still a libertarian. You know, generally the idea, again, is that government is not the best place for our, us to solve our problems. Problems. A lot of conservatives agree uh, with that, but the, uh, a conservative tends to be more socially conservative, right? Mm -hmm. You're not going to find a, a socially liberal conservative generally. They tend to be more religious, whereas when it comes to the libertarians, you know, they tend to be more secular. Also, conservatives tend to be uh, of a block mind. They tend to be unified against abortion. Uh, I, libertarians are more split. Uh, I'm one of those libertarians who happens to be pro-life. But that probably doesn't reflect the majority of people who consider themselves libertarians. So those are some of the big differences between conservatives and libertarians. Uh, I still consider myself one philosophically. The Libertarian Party itself um, you know, has uh, some issues, of course, and that's one of the reasons why I joined the Republican Party. I feel more comfortable um, you know, instead of preaching to the choir, mm -hmm. going out and, and preaching to the unconverted. Uh, but there's quite, a, there's quite a lot of similarities, a lot of differences. I think a conservative and libertarian alliance would be a good thing in our country to push back against statism and social democrats, uh, but that remains to be seen whether or not something like that can emerge. 
Mm -hmm. And I, I'm glad that you mentioned that it, among libertarians, there's, I think, more of an ideological split among certain issues than you would see among conservatives or liberals generally. And as someone who I, you know, I'm very interested in political philosophy, so I, I'm very interested in libertarianism as well. And what I've seen from, I guess, you know, watching libertarian YouTube channels and things like that, listening to libertarian philosophers, is that I, I've noticed that there's a stronger voice for something called anarcho-capitalism. Um, among the Libertarian Party than I saw when I was in university, you know, let's say like five years ago currently. Um, so I guess for for people who say that they, you know, they don't want government interfering in our lives and in our businesses, uh, what would you say would be a traditional libertarian sense of what the government should do, right? Because I know that there are the libertarians out there who think that government shouldn't do anything, right? These anarcho-capitalists who believe that maybe there shouldn't be a state at all. Do you, do you think that there is a place for some sort of government entity within certain schools of libertarian thought? Yeah, there's an old uh, school quote that says, uh, if you don't have rules, then you will have rulers. Um, essentially, uh, you know, libertarians can be split on the concept of whether or not a government should or should not exist. Uh, as a matter of fact, the Libertarian Party in their in their mission statement or in their statement of principles does not explicitly state whether or not they believe government should exist mm. at all. And that's, that's a way to uh, sort of make peace with those who are anarcho-capitalists, people who believe in, in no government whatsoever. Uh, however, I consider myself a constitutionalist. I I consider myself a minarchist uh, and a minarchist is just someone who's kind of one step away from being an anarcho-capitalist someone who believes in a government that's limited to protecting life liberty and property um, there was a philosopher in the 1970s who you might actually really like his name was Robert Nozick and he wrote a book called anarchy state and utopia and in this book he described what they would call sort of an ideal night watchman state Right, that the idea is that the government is really just supposed to be the watcher on the wall, uh, and that's what it's limited to. You know, protecting your life, protecting your liberty and property, but everything else needs to be solved by culture or it needs to be solved by the marketplace. So certain roles like national defense, for example, could be under the purview of libertarianism, right? Mm -hmm. Simply because the role of government there is to protect life, uh, um, or something else uh, that you could say. I, I believe I'm pro-life. I do believe that it's it's a job to protect you know the unborn because they are humans, and I arrive at that from a logical perspective. And I think in terms of abortion, I've actually done two videos, I think, where I may, I may have mentioned abortion in regard to libertarianism. And I've met actually quite a few libertarians who are pro-life and they come at it from the perspective that abortion violates the non-aggression principle, right? The NAP. And so if you are someone who does believe in, I guess, the fact that a fetus is not just a clump of cells, but in fact a person, then yeah, I, I have met quite a few libertarians who arrive at being pro-life because of the idea of protecting life. But, um, you know, you mentioned national defense and something that I was looking at on the Libertarian Party platform um, that I noticed is that they are, you know, they're not exactly strong borders people, but I've also met some libertarians who not necessarily identify with the party, but more the philosophy, who do believe in protecting borders as a form of property rights. You know, these this is the property of the American people, therefore the property rights should be enforced. Um, where do you philosophically kind of land on that issue? Because along with abortion, I think immigration might be one of those other issues that libertarians kind 
kind of tend to be split on or have different differing views of. So a libertarian would ask, what is the prevailing interest in stopping people from coming to the United States? You know, uh, most, I think, conservatives would say, well, we have a national security issue there. And, and I actually agree, uh, you know, that no one has a right to come into the United States with the intention of doing harm. As a matter of fact, if you actually go to the Cato Institute, uh, they actually make an argument where they say, oh, this is what open borders means. But within the context of open borders, as the Cato Institute defines it, they say that, you know, obviously you do not have the right to come to the United States if you are here to commit ter acts of terrorism mm -hmm. um, or to, to spread infectious disease. Uh, otherwise, you know, what is the prevailing interest in stopping people from coming to the United States, right? Um, but I think that if you're going to be actually technically accurate, and when you say, um, you know, a strict property rights definition, right, well, the United States technically is not our private property. Uh, the anarcho-capitalists that you brought up earlier, they don't believe in borders technically either, other than private borders, mm -hmm. meaning that every single parcel of land in the United States should be privately owned, the government should not exist, and of course an immigrant, immigrant can't come into this territory simply because that's private property, and I will only allow people onto my private property uh, if I give them my permission. But in an, uh, we live in a nation state, right? We live under a government. We live in a Republican constitutional form of, of, of government. So we do have this difference between public property and private property. And there are some constitutional questions involved. The 14th Amendment specifically discusses people who are under U.S. jurisdiction. So if you want to come to the United States, if you make it to the United States, then we have this concept of human rights, not necessarily constitutional rights, but human rights, right? You can't be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process just for the simple fact that you're a human being within the jurisdiction of the United States, right? You can't be murdered. You can't have your property stolen. Even if you came here by illegal means, you know, you could be deported eventually. Uh, but theoretically, if you if you make it here to the United States, you get human rights because we're not Saudi Arabia. We're not like other countries where you could be killed or murdered just for entering our territory. But I personally, this is my personal view. This isn't speaking for all libertarians. I do believe in some border security, but if my uncle lives in Italy and I want my uncle to come to work at my Italian restaurant, and if I want him to live at my house, you know, why should I have to go through a process or he go through a process of 10 to 15 years mm -hmm. uh, for him to come and work and live with me, right? And so because we're worried about this thing called chain migration in the United States. Well, if I have family overseas and I want to bring them here and have them go through, you know, they should have a simple process, simple security check, simple disease check, and then they can begin the path to naturalization. But if you make, it's just like anything else, just like if you make drugs illegal. If you make illegal immigration very difficult, you're technically, you're making it illegal in certain ways, well, then you're going to get the, the unintended consequences of having more illegal immigration. So you have to fix the broken illegal system so that people can come here legally and simply that's mindful of national security, mindful of public health. Uh, and that seems to me to be reasonable. But there's no like Sal, there's no bomb in Gilead. There's no there's no cure all for our immigration problems. Immigration is something that's existed throughout all of human history and it will continue to exist in the future. So we need to have, I think, a simple, sane immigration protocol that's mindful of our national security, but also mindful of human rights. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, I'm someone who I very much support the idea of uh, reasonable, highly skilled immigration. I'm definitely not anti-immigrant, but I think somewhere where I personally fall a little bit more on the even perhaps authoritarian side is that I am firmly, firmly a civic nationalist. So, uh, you know, if I look at places in Europe, potentially Sweden and Germany and things like that, and I look at, uh, you know, not just the 
the terror attacks which do happen but on a smaller scale just the day-to-day radical change of the culture and gradual islamization of those countries um you know i i do believe that if you immigrate to the west you should have to speak the language which i admit is not a libertarian concept i do believe you should have to have similar values even if you're not I guess, uh, planning on taking over the state and implementing Sharia law, uh, there are Sharia enclaves in places like Canada and Sweden, which I still think, I I don't agree with that. So I guess in terms of the not so much uh, perhaps legal aspect of it, but in terms of the cultural aspect, do you think that is something that libertarians should be concerned of? Is there a more libertarian way to address potential shifts in the culture, especially when it comes to issues like mass immigration, like we are seeing in Europe? And you know, that's, uh, I guess, not to mention the whole idea of like welfare and stuff, but just in terms of culture, is there a libertarian way to address that? Sure, I, I think there is. And, you know, I sometimes get in trouble with uh, my libertarian friends because I do have to remind them and point out to them that some some cultures are incompatible with Western uh, civilization, Western ideals. You know, uh, the the Islamists that are taking over Europe, they don't they don't share our liberal beliefs. I sometimes have to remind my conservative friends that they are quite liberal compared to uh, Islamists. Right. right? Uh, And it can be a matter of scale or a matter of degrees. But I think if you're talking about the bigger picture, when you talk about civic nationalism here, you, you have to ask yourself, really, is the nation state an end in itself or is the nation state really a tr- and truly a means to an end? Uh, in my personal opinion, I don't believe that the that the end goal uh, it should be that we just have a government, right? It's not it's not it's not good and wise simply just to have a government because governments can be evil. They can be necessary evils, uh, but I do believe that ultimately they are an evil in in a sense. And what I'm what I'm saying with that is simply that the the role of a nation state, if it's is to protect life, liberty, and property, many times that uh, the health of a nation state is at odds with protecting individual liberty, right? The whole entire reason as a minarchist that I believe a government should exist is to protect those three, uh, those three things. Now, in our Declaration of Independence, we say, you know, that uh, if it, it, when in the course of human events, it becomes necessary to alter or abolish that form of, of government, in that sense, we're ultimately saying that individual liberty are in our individual natural rights Uh, are more important than the existence of the nation state itself. So the only reason why we form governments, why governments are instituted among men, are to protect life, liberty, and property. So while I see civic nationalism as something that can be used for good, I also believe that it can be used for evil. For example, the government of Iran, the government of North Korea, right? They they may have some form of civic nationalism, but it's not civic nationalism in the in the way that we want, right? We would prefer them to have Western values. So it's really the values I think that are more important than the nation state itself. So imparting our values into uh, Eastern cultures or those in the Middle East would probably do much more uh, than imparting the concepts of civic nationalism such as we understand it because they just don't have those kinds of concepts. But to me, I think liberty is the end. That That's really what we're aiming for. But when it comes to cultures and, and mass immigration, you know, you can't have open borders in a welfare state. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, we don't have the kind of welfare state that they do in Europe. I, th- I believe in Sweden, for example, if you come here as, there as a refugee, you can even get a full house. I mean, they will give you a place to live. Uh, that That is an in, inexorable draw. You're going to be drawn to that inexorably. 
you're going to seek that out simply because that is an incentive. So economics being about incentives, you have to incentivize people to do things the right way. But Sweden's not doing that. They're not incentivizing people to come to Sweden for the right reasons. Um, and then, of course, if you want to even go back further, you could say perhaps that our military interventions in the Middle East, uh, such as in Syria and in other places, could be one of the prime draws. I know a lot of Donald Trump supporters uh, and you know right-wing conservatives, paleo-conservatives, agree with libertarians on foreign policy. They don't think that we should be in the Middle East indefinitely and trying to sort of police the world in that sense because we get the negative con unintended consequence of mass migration such as we have seen it, right? Obama's intervention in Libya, for example. Um, so there are there's, there's a multifaceted problem that we have right here, and you're going to need a multifaceted solution. I don't know that civic nationalism in itself is going to be a, the, the ultimate solution. I do think it can be a solution, but it is a double-edged sword, right? Because nationalism for nationalism's sake is not really patriotism. You know, patriotism is loving your country all the time and government when it deserves it. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad that you mentioned the idea of, I guess, foreign interventionism, because as someone who's a young conservative talks to a lot of other young conservatives, I think, I guess, the, the keenness and readiness uh, to intervene in foreign affairs is actually something that turned away a lot of younger people. And if I look at you know, modern conservatives now, it's actually something that we kind of disagree with the whole neocon conception of, that you can export democracy through sheer military force. And I think that's something that, if I look at someone like Rand Paul, who is libertarian but a Republican, um, something, an, an ideal that he embodies very well, the idea of, uh, you know, not no military, but strength when it is needed and not unnecessary force. But uh, another issue where I think some Republicans and libertarians have very similar views on is healthcare. And now this is a whole whole bucket of worms that, you know, mm -hmm. policy could go on for days and days, but I just con conceptually people who want small government in regard to healthcare, they're up against a very big hurdle right now. There's this increasing push for a universal single payer system, right? Um, you know, like they have perhaps in the UK with the NHS or Canada with its different provincial systems. So whenever that is mentioned, often it's framed in, in terms of how can a wealthy moral society allow these people to be dying, allow people to be, you know, having to declare bankruptcy because someone in their family gets cancer. Um, so I guess from just a philosophical perspective, what would be the libertarian response to that? Because, you know, I'm someone who believes that there, there can be moral arguments made for free market systems, even with healthcare. Uh, but how would you respond? Well, I believe in this concept of moral responsibility, but not a moral obligation, right? Just because there, there's homeless, there's a homeless guy on the street, I have a moral responsibility to help him, right? Maybe to give him money or I, or to do what I can, give him the coat off of my back. And I believe in private charity, but I don't have a moral obligation to do that, right? I'm not required by the government to take off my jacket and give it to that homeless person. So those, are, I think, are two concepts. I think it's a distinction with an important difference. Um, and unfortunately, because of the type Type of debates that we're having in this country where it's, you know, uh, Bernie Sanders, uh, uh, Elizabeth Warren style leftists versus, you know, the, the, the Trump style populists and, you know, conservatives and libertarians on the right. Unfortunately, we conflate these two concepts because the left does that deliberately in order mm -hmm. to obscure the meaning and understanding. The, uh, uh, one of my favorite old quotes from one of the founding fathers is how strangely tyrants pervert the plain meaning of words. Um, and, and that's what the left does is that they try and pervert the understanding of these words. 
But when it comes to our healthcare system and what it is that that we can do in order to provide for the common, promote the general welfare, right? Promote the common good. And in, in my opinion, you know, a stronger sense of of civic duty. Uh, I, I believe in that concept that we should be uh, help, helpful and charitable. And we we're the most charitable nation in the entire world in all of human history. No nation has ever been more charitable than the citizens of the United States. We give to private charity much more than what we, what is taken from us in taxes and then trickled down through. Uh, uh, through the pipes to get down to you know some nonprofits that the government decides are worthy of support, uh, namely one being Planned Parenthood. Uh, right. For example, we should be able to decide whether or not we want to support with our own money uh, uh, an institution uh, that most Americans, I would say, probably the majority of Americans, being that America is a conservative majority nation, in my opinion, um, don't support and right. should not be required to be forced to pay taxes for. Now, Planned Parenthood just doesn't just provide abortions. It also provides health care. And we hear that quite a bit from from the left. Well, if that's the case, why don't they donate more money themselves to Planned Parenthood? As a matter of fact, the very few times that Planned Parenthood is, has ever been threatened with a cut in funding, the many of the Democrats, the Hollywood liberals, stepped up and they donated hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars to Planned Parenthood. Well, that's how it's supposed to work, dummies. That's how it's supposed to be. You know, you're supposed to give uh, to private charity, and I do. I do do acts of charity, but unfortunately, you know, people. Uh, I'm I'm not a, a Christian per se, right? I, I don't follow all of the teachings of the Bible, but I do believe do unto others, and I do believe that when you do do good for good things for others, you're not supposed to go out there and publish uh, publicize it on Facebook. You mm -hmm. know, when I was uh, in New York the other day, I gave some money to a homeless person. It would have been very easy for me to do one of those really tacky Instagram live streams where I sit there and I'm like, look at me doing good for other people, right? You should do your work in private, your, your charity in private, and that's how it ought to be. I believe in that. Um, but you know what? Free markets are not. Not perfect. Uh, no, not everyone is going to be uh, taken care of perfectly. The problem is that the, that the left offers utopia. They offer a paradise where everyone will get care. Uh, but it, when they say that, they'll say, well, yes, we're going to have to lower, lower the overall quality of care so that more people can get it. And even then, not everyone is still in a nation of 330 million people going to get their dialysis treatments or their, their cancer screenings or breast cancer screenings. It's just there is no utopia. Actually, the literal definition of utopia means no place. So we're at a disadvantage in this war of ideas because we say we can't promise you a perfect system. We can promise you the best system, but we can't promise you perfection. And meanwhile, Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders and Obama and others are saying, we'll offer you utopia, a perfect socialized healthcare system where everyone will be taken care of. And it doesn't work. That's why people in the United Kingdom fly to the United States. That's why princes of Saudi Arabia and premiers of of the Soviet Union and others they come to or uh, they come from Russia they come to the United States and they seek treatment people come from Canada to the United States to seek treatment so it's unfortunate that um, you know that we don't have the same tools in our toolkit because we can't lie to people and offer them perfection uh, and our opponents do Mm -hmm. That's a great distinction. I love it. I might I might have to steal that for the future. But Austin, thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. For the lovely people who are watching this and want to be able to keep up with what you're doing, follow your thoughts. Where can they go? Well, first, I'm really excited to see you this weekend, Lauren. Let's definitely hang out and uh, grab a beer or something for Kavanaugh. For sure. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at AP4Liberty. That's AP, the number four, AP for Liberty. Uh, and you can also download my Freedom Report podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher and feel free to hit me up on a direct message. I love to chat with my supporters. All right, great. And again, thank you so much. Thanks, Lauren.